Hello there, one and all, and welcome to this edition of the Weekly Chat. He's Ralph, I'm Peter, let's do this. Um, now, uh, this week we are going to concentrate on alternative energy, um, something that I could do with quite at the moment because I'm a bit tired, but hey, it's okay. Um, there was a very interesting story in um, the Daily Telegraph this week um, about Britain getting solar panel, uh, sorry, solar panel, solar power imported from the Sahara via sea cables laid along the seabed. Now, that sounds a bit weird to me because you would have thought, surely, with the distance between, say, Morocco and Devon, uh, which is where this substation is going to be, there's going to be a bit of wastage. Um, but anyway, apparently the power that's going to get through is is going to be great um you know and at least it's something i guess um but this follows on from some stories that we've been seeing recently on alternative energy sources um from last week um about hydrogen and small modular reactors mm. indeed can i just jump in at this point because you mentioned the word last week yes last week was also the time where we normally record a podcast but i think we didn't this time and i think you like to share the reason for this peter would you not with our listeners yes, yes. um so in my defense <laughs> before i say this i am getting older as we all are and i'm not i no um <laughs> i managed to um lose my keys and here they are um i managed to lose my keys and in fact i was looking for them for about an hour and a quarter uh, before I found them and was therefore missed my window with Ralph. So I apologize for that. I've apologized to him profusely for that. But I knew as soon as this happened that I will never hear the end of this ever. So did, you say, did you say you were getting old and it was your fault? Sorry, the line. I, it was, I was going into a tunnel. Yes, I couldn't yes, quite hear that. Could yes, you read that, please? Yes, getting old, forgetful. Yeah, I see. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. I see how, I'm going to see how many, how many references to keys I'm going to be able to key into this particular episode. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. I, um, yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. So yes. Um, so yeah. What do you? Th where, 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 where do you want to start? <laughs> what do you mean? What do I think? Where do you I'm want to go on want... holiday in the yeah. Florida, Florida Keys this um, uh, yeah. this summer? Yeah. No, yeah. sorry. Uh, now I'm completely lost. Who's your uh, favorite? Yes. Very good. Is it your favorite singer-songwriter pianist? Oh yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. I'm not going to rise to that. Um, now. Uh, what am I doing? Uh, am I talking about something? Yeah. Talk about hydrogen. Okay. Talk about hydrogen. <laughs> yes, whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, okay. whatever, mate. Right, whatever. whatever. Okay, yeah. cool. Right, so hydrogen, um, ladies and gentlemen, it is, <laughs> it is actually a very interesting story, um, which which unfolded over the last. Although you could say it is a bit. It was a bit low key. Oh God, yeah. Look, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the... just, if I if I think of any, I will come up with them. Cool. Well, the key to this particular thing yes. is going to be that there is allegedly, in the assessment of journalists, going to be a gold rush towards natural hydrogen. And we have talked about hydrogen before in the context of electrolysis. Electrolysis. <laughs> I just stumbled Electro over. Electricity. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. <laughs> I stumbled over that word last time. Yes. 
electrolysis um, in, in the context of uh, hydrogen-driven cars, which might actually well turn out to be an alternative to uh, electric vehicles. Anyway, today we would like to talk about a little bit about hydrogen and why this is potentially such a big deal. So why are people talking about a gold rush there? And I think it was all, well, maybe not all, but there was recent, uh, a recent find of natural hydrogen deposit in France. And I think they found something like 250 million tons of natural hydrogen in France, which the journalist said uh, will cover global demand for about two years. Wow. And when I, yeah, when I read this, I thought, well, <laughs> it's a big deal then, is it? I mean, two years, it's not going to be very much though, isn't it? But yeah, I have... what a two years though, right? What a two years that'll be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. We're going to be cooking on gas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> indeed. But yeah. so um, this needs to be seen in the context of what kind of hydrogen we are producing at the moment, because obviously this particular hydrogen is not man-made, whereas all the other hydrogen which we're currently using in order to service this demand of around 100 million tons a year is man-made. Mm. And so I'm going to delight you guys with um, a whole zoo of different forms of hydrogen which exist. And nice. so I'm going to look at my list because I've written this down. Mm -hmm. so that I get this right now. So first of all, there is black hydrogen, and that doesn't sound very friendly, and it isn't, because that is produced by transforming coal to gas. Mm -hmm. So we have coal dependency here, and this is obviously a no-no in a world which wishes to achieve zero net, net zero and CO2 zero um, emissions by, well, an, an ever... Um, ever less ambitious standard, but I think 2050 is still where we want to achieve this. So black hydrogen isn't good. The next one, which is a little bit better, is gray hydrogen. And you can see where this is going, don't you? I mean, this is a chromatic scale, which is getting increasingly better. So gray isn't quite as bad as black, but it's clearly still not very good. It uh, uses a production process which um, is known as steam reforming. And the point for us here is simply that it uses a lot of CO2 in the process and it pumps it straight into the air. So that is not in any way a green hydrogen, which is another color. It's, this is not green at all. Um, but also, and this is a, a fact, it's, it, it's sort of the opposite of a fun fact i'm guessing it's like a like a, a sadness fact. or, or like, like a tragedy fact <laughs> right, okay. apparently 95 percent of man-made hydrogen is produced by this process so 95 percent of man-made hydrogen is gray and gray ain't good because that pumps co2 into the atmosphere so at mm. the moment we can't really say that hydrogen is is, is green forgive mm. me my uh, constant wordplay here with the colors They're not mine. This is what you use apparently in the industry. Mm -hmm. Next one up is blue hydrogen, which you possibly will have seen in the press. That is also steam reforming, but this one captures the CO2, so it's not quite as damaging to the environment, although it isn't particularly good either. The next one 
is a bit um, esoteric. It's called turquoise or turquoise. I don't even know what color that is. Hydrogen, and it's not greeny relevant. Blue. It's greeny, blue. greeny blue. Is it really? Yep. Oh, is the chromatic scale works then? The next one was blue. This is greeny blue, so it's a bit greener than blue. <laughs> but it's also not particularly like sort good. Of swimming, swimming pool blue, maybe. All right. Oh, yeah. I see. That sort of blue. Yeah. Turquoise. With, with algae in it. Yeah. Um, and the next one is... What is turquoise What What is turquoise um, hydrogen, sorry? Oh, it's generated by methane, splitting methane, a different oh, okay. gas. It's yeah. um, a little bit better than the other processes in terms of environmental friendliness, but it's not that great either, I understand. Hence, it's not quite green, mm -hmm. but it's not quite blue. Exactly. Hence... Exactly, turquoise. hence turquoise. These yeah. people have really put some thought into these yeah. nice. color schemes here. Yeah. And then we're moving into the process of electrolysis. And in that particular production process, there are two forms of hydrogen. One yeah. is yellow, <laughs> nice. where there is a mixture of renewable and non-renewable energies which are going into the production of the electricity which is used to split the hydrogen. Yeah. Uh, so that one is so-so. It's neither, neither here nor there, neither green nor black, basically. And the next yeah. one is my absolute favorite because the next one is pink hydrogen. And maybe no prizes for guessing, that is when nuclear energy is being used to oh, right. produce the electricity, so you turn pink like a, in an episode of The Simpsons or something. Nice. Um, so there we are. That's the chromatic... But you didn't mention green hydrogen, though. Well, that's, uh, well, yeah, that, that's sort of the chromatic zoo done now. The oh, green okay. hydrogen is, of course, by reference to whether it is environmentally friendly ah. or not. So black hydrogen is never green. Gray hydrogen isn't green. Blue hydrogen isn't green. Turquoise is a little bit green, <laughs> but etc. You can see where this is going. It's all very clever. Yeah. yeah. But what is green is the naturally occurring hydrogen. Okay. No prizes for guessing again. That, of course, also is identified by reference to a color. And this is called white hydrogen okay. or, or gold hydrogen. So white hydrogen is basically always green. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody's listening to this anymore. Everybody's completely confused. <laughs> ah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> switch. switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway, there is, um, I hope, a point to this madness because we are talking about white hydrogen. And just um, to remind you guys, so we are still talking about this deposit of 250 million tons of white hydrogen, of naturally occurring hydrogen, which was found in France. And I was saying this is going to last us two years and it's done. So that's not particularly interesting. But now we remember the tragedy fact that 95% of man-made hydrogen is basically grey, so not green. It's not mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Meaning five, only 5% 5 is green. And so if you take this 250 million tons, which has been discovered, that translates into something like 40 times the amount 
of green man-made hydrogen. So in an effort to move towards an alternative energy setting, where we are using energies that are green, which do restrict CO2 emissions, white hydrogen, naturally occurring hydrogen, appears to be an inevitable building block of where the future energy production mm. is going to go. Mm. And so what we had in the news then was a report by a U.S. environmental agency which highlighted all this and came out with rather well, came out with some numbers and some journalists sensationalized this because apparently the total amount, the global amount of naturally occurring hydrogen is estimated to be five trillion tons. So that would basically be good for 50,000 years of hydrogen usage. But we can... Not bad. <laughs> That's all right, isn't it? That's okay. Yeah. I think we could just about, uh, you know, just about scrape through on that maybe. Yeah, but we need to whittle this number down, of course, because obviously that's not really uh, really the thing, because not all of it, in fact, a small fraction is accessible. I mean, most of that is in wherever it might be. It's uh, under the seafloor, under the Arctic ice, under Antarctica, etc., in volcanoes, so we can't really access it. But there are still about 100 billion tons of accessible natural hydrogen out there globally and that is good for a thousand years at the current rate of usage now the current rate of usage is projected to go up to about 500 million tons so about five times that so now we're at 200 years so i mean i'm you know these are just ballpark numbers but it does they, they do highlight that i think humanity has got a viable alternative source of green, meaning environmentally friendly, energy production uh, at their fingertips, um, which at a projected future rate of hydrogen demand might last us for 200 years. If we are able to access it, but that is, of course, why people talk about a gold rush, mm. because currently this energy source is widely untapped, simply because we didn't used to need it. But now mm. with uh, the uh, dynamics in the energy sector globally going to where, going where, where they are going, being two constraints in the main. One is it has to be CO2 neutral, and the other one it has to be generated by in geopolitically neutral countries where the free world has access to. Yeah. Uh, this is increasingly more important, and that is the reason why we're seeing this this gold rush towards hydrogen. And of course, one last statement perhaps from me on, on, on this, I said, uh, it's also, of course, energy self-sufficiency in the free world, which we, are, which we need to uh, sort of generate over time. And so one obvious question to ask would be, well, where is all this accessible uh, hundred billion tons of hydrogen? It's not all in France, clearly. Um, although some of it is, uh, some of it might be in Russia and China, and so that's not going to necessarily then answer our problems. And the answer to this question is surprisingly disappointing at the moment, because the answer is we don't know. Mm. 
and 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 we don't know precisely for the reason that so far hydrogen has not been seen as a viable alternative energy source mm. but now that mm. there is this rush towards it we're going to do a lot more prospecting and over the next few years our knowledge of where this particular uh, raw material is situated is going to increase and also you need to sort of remember the technology for extracting gas that already exists so we can use that technology adapt it and to extract the hydrogen which we're going to find from the ground not all of it is going to be in the free world but we're talking about um like i said 200 years of usage here for global demand equivalent which is situated worldwide so even if only a fraction of that is to be located in the free world it's going to gradually over the next few years uh, supplant the use of all these other nasty colors black and gray and pink although pink is better than um, you think because we're going to talk about nuclear energy at some other i mean point do you think like with this gold rush you know people are going to go panning for or maybe just wandering around with candles <laughs> wondering, thinking whoa hold on a minute this is a big flame yeah well, fantastic <laughs> there, there used to be a big deposit here now it unfortunately it's just exploded yeah but yeah I no, mean, that's you know, definitely... if you suddenly walking along with a candle and it sort of you know singes your eyebrows or something then you think yeah i've, I've struck gold uh, not gold. I've struck uh, I, uh, gas. Yeah. yeah, struck gas. Yeah. No, definitely. This is definitely going to happen in terms mm. of uh, maybe not with a with a sifting pan or whatever they use. <laughs> yeah. In the Klondike River in the 19th century, mm. but certainly the the prospering for hydrogen is going to is going to increase. Absolutely, yeah. that's the gold rush, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm actually reasonably heartened by this. I do think it's an alternatively an alternative energy source. Mm. And when we were talking about the cars, the hydrogen cars, I wasn't actually all that excited by it because it was still largely a non-green way mm. to produce energy and as we have seen in, in our little rundown here 95 mm. percent of man-made hydrogen is gray mm. i.e produces co2 which is terrible but this particular form of man-made uh, of sorry of natural hydrogen will uh, increasingly become an alternative a viable alternative super pretty sure so there we go that's very that's all good stuff um on the um you know on the hydrogen front but of course there is the <laughs> other stuff on the small modular reactor stuff so um this is i mean you know we've been talking about this over quite a period quite a long period of time and it seems that things are they're not coming to a conclusion. Well, maybe sort of coming to a head with um, small modular reactors. Obviously, last in the UK last year, the government um, you know, um, put put it out to tender. I think that the um, you know they want to have some small modular reactors in the UK, um, and uh, the they they put it out to tender. I think there's six companies now left in the process, one of which is um is Rolls Royce. Um and they the winner of that tender will get something like twenty billion pounds worth of 
taxpayer money to to help them on their way mm-hmm. um uh, and you know rolls royce in its recent i think its recent results and things which were really good um said that it wanted that yeah it put pressure on the uk government to come up with the goods and to give them the contract essentially um but uh, has also been quite rightly talking to other countries as well um, who are also interested in SMRs. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll see um, see how that goes. But SMRs, again, are, are uh, something that um, are seen as to be very attractive. What do you think, Ralph? Oh, absolutely. And the more I look at SMRs and think about this, uh, the more I do believe that this is also a viable alternative mm-hmm. although i'm not exactly sure whether the word alternative is is the right word in this context but mm-hmm. um or a viable addition to the um range of energy sources which we are going to have to use in in the future all hoping that fusion energy is going to become commercially viable at some mm-hmm. point and all of this is going to be looked at the transition period from hindsight but we're Mm. not there yet and so until this happens we need to develop all of these all all renewable and non-renewable energies which are co2 neutral that's really Mm. the way to express this Mm. because i don't think you can say that nuclear energy is a renewable energy because it is clearly not it uses up resources and um, by the way hydrogen is a renewable energy it does renew at a slow slow uh, scale but it does at a slow rate but it does mm. anyway nuclear power is not renewable but it is co2 neutral and so it would be a derelict of duty not to at least look at it and mm. see whether we can use it now um maybe some context here i mean maybe many of us when they hear the word nuclear energy immediately sort of start shaking shaking their heads and there is something about nuclear energy which just doesn't make you feel quite good about it and and i think we all know what that is because there are two it's homer Homer simpson isn't it it's homer simpson (laughs) exactly and Mr. Burns, I mean, you know, yeah. basically over years, um, really, they have chipped away at uh, confidence in the nuclear power industry. So, yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Mm. I think we should sh- just just play okay. these episodes. Yeah. Mike dropped. <laughs> yeah, Mike dropped. Done. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so, yeah, indeed, Homer Simpson refers in, in, in two ways. I mean, first of all, we all... <clears throat> We're all, let's say, concerned at the very least about the security risks embedded in this technology, mm-hmm. or should I say the perceived security risks. So point mm-hmm. number one, which would count against nuclear energy, is that it is perceived to be dangerous, or maybe mm-hmm. it is dangerous. Let me make a few comments on that in a, in, in a second. And the second one is, of course, nuclear waste. What are we going to do with that? And just a few pointers on that because i don't think that the reality is quite as bad as the public perception Mm. of it is the first one is security well 
You've heard this from me before, perhaps, and I'm going to repeat it again because <laughs> that's kind of what I do. I knew I have knowledge of a certain number of things and just repeat them forever. Um, so, nuclear energy security. Well, yes, there have been some accidents, and these have been uh, headline grabbing, but there weren't many. There was one, Chernobyl. The other one, Three Mile Island or Harrisburg in the U.S., and of course Japan. Mm-hmm. But Chernobyl doesn't really count because Chernobyl was generated by Soviet-style incompetence and and sort of um, committee-based administration. So you can't really you can't say that because Chernobyl blew up that counts against nuclear energy per se. When mm. nuclear energy is well managed and professionally administered, then it is much safer than that. And the second point about Chernobyl is it didn't have a containment. This was a very old-style technology. All the modern power plants, remember the Simpsons, they all look like... Um, half domes or something, mm-hmm, don't yeah. they? They have this concrete containment which is designed to keep the the the, the stuff that makes you pink <laughs> inside when there is a meltdown. And Chernobyl didn't have that. So all of the uh, radioactive emissions went into the atmosphere un, unhindered. And, and, and that's not how atomic power plants are built these days. So I think Chernobyl doesn't really count as a viable security concern uh, because it would have been and it would have been entirely uh, avoidable and it was avoided elsewhere now three mile island just quickly ticking these off three mile island yes that was definitely a tick in the box on the wrong side of the balance sheet for nuclear power was that westinghouse um, I, I, I can't remember who. Yes, I believe it's possible. I would need to check this. Yeah. Um, but in the end, the containment held. Mm. And although there was environmental damage, it wasn't nearly as bad as you would have thought. Not as cataclysmic as you would have thought would be definitely, inevitably, the consequence of a partial meltdown. Because it was a partial meltdown. So it was almost the worst that could happen to an atomic mm. power plant. And the environmental damage was limited. Uh, Japan, we know what happened there, but again, if you build your atomic power plant on a fault line close to a tsunami um, in endangered region, then maybe that is also bad planning. Uh, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> you like the understatements of the year, but, but yeah, yeah. Well, just put it out there. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I think my well, point is well, to be fair. I think that in Japan. The whole, whole of Japan is is very vulnerable to because it's. I think it's on the you know on the edge of is it something like four tectonic plates? I, I don't know mm. exactly, but it's something like that, which is why Japan gets so many earthquakes. I mean, mm. again, I, I'll say this because not everyone you know knows this, but if even in Tokyo, which is not generally thought of to be I mean, there are worse places to be in Japan for earthquakes, right? But even in Tokyo, you get, you get, um, you know, you get, you get earthquakes every day. You know, when you, it's, it's when you first go there and you first experience it, it really freaks you out because you think, is there something 
a bit strange going on because you you can feel it feels it's more like a train going past or something like that um and it feels strange and there are times when um i would look if i happen to have some water you know on the on the desk or something and i would i would if i felt something a bit strange i would look at the glass of water right to see whether the surface is is you know shaking but you know and but there are times when you you know you go to top of tall buildings and there's an earthquake and you know they are designed to sway you know and and actually if you go to the base of these i mean I don't know how this works, but there are wheels, the, these massive kind of wheels at the, on the, you know, at the base of the building, and they kind of move with the. I don't know how that works, but, but really? it's very strange. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, the in Japan, um, I mean, the planning is bad, but having said that, I think that actually, I don't know whether there's anywhere in Japan that would be re- that be truly. Right. right. Okay. But the problem with Japan is it doesn't have much of its own resources, mm. and yet it still requires a lot of of energy. And therefore, I guess this is what you know. This is this is one one of the things that they yeah. can do. But it's tricky. Well, it 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 highlights that of course concerns about security are viable and mm. they are valid. But my point is, I think that the public has developed a perception that nuclear energy is almost as 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 dangerous as an unexploded nuclear bomb yeah, yeah. next to you and that is certainly not uh, not not th- that's just simply not the case yeah. but even in japan we had only one major incident yeah. um and so security concerns are valid, but I think they're overblown. That is the point I was hoping to make. Mm. The second one can be ticked off reasonably quickly, which is nuclear waste. Yes, nuclear waste exists. It does happen. But the energy density of the material which is being transformed is so high that there is actually very little nuclear waste. Mm. And most of that very little nuclear waste is not even highly radioactive and can be safely stored, can be now safely safely stored because the sort of technology which is built to allow safe storage of nuclear waste has of course also developed and improved over the over the years so most of this can be now safely stored just to, to put this into context since the 1950s meaning in something like 70 years of commercial operation of nuclear reactors in the US, they produce 90,000 tons of nuclear waste. And that may sound to you like a big number, Mm. but it's actually not that bad. You can shove all that stuff into Arsenal's football stadium. I, I, I kid you not, that is true. I think you'll find that Arsenal football supporters would potentially complain um, about that, if you should in oh, fact no, no, go maybe, ahead. May, maybe it will energize the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Maybe I should be careful here, yeah. guys. I don't follow football, so don't yeah. send me angry emails. I don't know what I'm yeah. talking about, yeah. but I do know that ninety thousand tons of waste doesn't really take up a lot of space, and it's in seventy years of um, of, of 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 operational. Uh, running of nuclear reactors.
actors. Mm. Of course, you need to, yes, uh, Europe ran some too, that's just the US, but basically the point is nuclear waste is also much less of a problem. So what is more of a problem then? I think more of a problem is uh, two things. First, what you hear is it takes very long to build a nuclear power plant, and second, it costs a lot of money to do so. And this is what I would like to examine for, for a moment, because that's quite interesting. Because what you see often is that people claim that it takes about 10 years to build a nuclear power plant. Now, that's not actually really true. That's an average, which includes outliers. The answer is less, but it still doesn't mean that it's not true. It is a valid point. It takes about five to six years on average to build a nuclear power plant. That's the typical build time. Uh, it takes about three to four years to build a coal power plant or a, or a more traditional um, um, non-renewable resource plant, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, so again, yes, it takes longer, but that, that doesn't take all that much longer. It doesn't even take twice as long. It takes like 50% of the time, again, which, it, which you use to build a coal power plant. Um, so four years versus six, that's the yeah. sort of order of magnitude. That still doesn't get us out of the problem here, because yeah. if we now, as societies, need to start replacing um, the energy production capacity which we had, increasing self-sufficiency away from Russia, etc. And if we build, start building now, then yes, obviously, that still takes six years to do so, but it is not as disastrous as people sometimes, I think, are led to believe. Mm. The second point is more important. It's cost. And this is interesting, actually. Um, <clears throat> Because you, you can't talk about absolute costs, of course, because that doesn't really mean very much. So people have um, developed another index which looks at the cost per uh, kilowatt hour produced. But not just that, it, it uses all of the costs which are going into the production of this energy form. So it's construction cost plus running cost. Mm. And the thing which people use is called, I'm going to read this off my page here, the levelized cost of energy. That is an index which rolls all of these costs into one index number. And if you look at that particular cost index over time, then you see something interesting. From 2009 to 2017, nuclear power was about half the cost of gas and about level with coal. Mm. And then since then, the cost has risen. And it is now about three times as expensive as solar energy and mm. twice as expensive as gas. Mm. So something has happened to the production costs of nuclear energy in the, in, in the second part of this period, which I've been referencing between 2017 and 23. And it is interesting to see what that is, because it is actually that um, the, the labor productivity has reduced. But, but, but the reason why it has reduced relates to the public perception of nuclear power as dangerous. Mm. That has meant that lots of regulations have appeared around the construction of a nuclear power plant, which makes it A, longer to build it, and B, more costly. Mm. 
And this is known as the nuclear premium. But um, that is therefore the situation. That's the bigger picture of traditional nuclear energy. It takes relatively long to build, not as bad as people make it out to be, but still relatively long. It is clearly more expensive than other forms of energy. There is some nuclear waste, but it can be safely stored these days, so that's not really much of an issue. And it's dangerous, but that's more in the public perception than it actually is. So this is the framework into which we now slot these small modular reactors. Mm. And this is why I'm a fan of them, because small modular reactors are built in a different way. They're basically built off-site as modules. Clearly, that's where the phrase comes from, as modules. They're quite small. And they are, I believe, quite small as well, mm -hmm. relative to full-blown power plant. They're shipped towards the site where they are needed. They're built up there. Uh, from modular form. And because they are modular, the cost to build them is less than that for a traditional power plant. Because they are built off-site, the security concerns are much lower, and therefore the regulation, the red tape, is lower. That reduces the costs for them to be built. It makes them even safer than the, or potentially safer, than the even well, then the nuclear, then the traditional nuclear power plants, which, as I have highlighted, are probably safer than than meets the eye anyway. And finally, of course, so these are all points in favour of it. But then, of course, there's an elephant in the room, basically, and you may all be twitching and saying, yes, yes, but they're small. <laughs> so the capacity isn't as great, isn't it? And, of course, that's the case. But if you actually look at this, they produce typically about 300 megawatts, um, whereas the large ones produce typically something like 1,000 megawatts. So that's not orders of magnitudes away. So if you stick three or four of these modular these small modular reactors together, then you have the capacity of a big one. Mm. And I apologize to anybody who knows more about this than, than I do. Uh, this does sound simplistic, what I just said. I'm sure it is simplistic. I'm sure there are diseconomies of scale. You can't just take three or four of them, stick them together, and you have the same capacity. That may well be. But my point is that the, the output energy capacity of an SMR is not orders of magnitudes smaller than that of a traditional power plant. Add to that that it takes less time to build and is much less costly and they are arguably safer and there is less bureaucracy around them. And you have, I believe, a viable, again, a viable future alternative in the gamut of energy production capacity which we which are open to us in particular if you think about the fact that we need to create energy <clears throat> sources uh, which are co2 neutral then nuclear energy is an inevitable an indispensable part of co2 neutral forms of energy and if we now have the capacity through smrs to do that in a more efficient and um in environmentally more friendly way, in a way which the public will not regard as dangerous as the traditional sources of nuclear power, then that is definitely a tick in the box and I believe a viable way forward as well. Mm.
I mean, it is a very interesting, um, you know, uh, power source, and it will present its own challenges. I'm sure, you know, because if yeah. you can have more of them, then there are more difficulties for where do you cite them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have thought, presumably, at the moment, you know, the the low hanging fruit is is citing them on, you know, where old sites were you know decommissioned or about to be decommissioned or whatever because they'll be used to that Um, but i suppose Mm -hmm. that you know once they run out and there aren't don't think there are many of them um then i think there'll be more difficulties because also there's the argument isn't it that you want it to be closer to to where it's going to go um so but again Mm -hmm. people aren't going to be enormously enamored by the prospect of having an SMR next door. Yeah, but you see, that's an interesting point. I I may, <clears throat> excuse me, I may want to say that perhaps the government's responsibility here is to, um, to educate people more about what this technology is yeah. Yeah. and to uh highlight I- exactly what the security concerns may be so n- neither say oh there is no issue here trust us nor basically um the, uh, demonizing this technology offers mm. the government wouldn't of course do this but other sources might do mm. so a i think what is called for is a sensible and responsible uh, um, f- form of of educating the the public about this source of energy, because the, even these SMRs are even capable of of burning nuclear waste. Would you believe it? Mm. I mean, no, not all of them. I mean, and, and not all nuclear waste, but uh, mm. there is there is an there is a possibility there but yes you are right i mean there's i don't think nuclear energy is ever going to be viewed as something which is as safe as perhaps uh, solar energy or or a wind farm but then people also don't want to necessarily live next to a wind farm exactly, because that yeah. produces sound mm. and so there are always these issues and they all have to be solved. I would say, in general, the more alternatives we have for the production of mm-hmm. energy, the better we are going to fare. Yeah. And we already talked about two now. One is natural hydrogen, which is going to be a part in in that uh, range of possibilities in the future and the other one is smrs which is surely going to be seen also by the public as better than Mm. traditional nuclear power plants Mm. yeah absolutely so we shall see won't we um i mean i suppose you need it seems to me that you need a mix of renewables um in order to reduce any volatility um in in supply and I have often thought um, how amazing it is that we are really talking about nuclear power for the long term when it feels to me like over, let's say, until, well, I mean, until maybe the early 2020s, mm-hmm. that actually 
nuclear was on the way out. You know, I mean, I think when um, Macron originally got into power, um, I believe that he had these very sort of punchy targets about reducing um, France's use of nuclear power. And, and France is well known for having a high percentage of its or a higher percentage of its energy mix generated by nuclear power than other some other countries. Uh, and the fact that he was talking about bringing that down and now the narrative has changed completely. Um, it's it's pretty amazing, really, to see how far we've come. And again, I suppose you know, again, sounding like an old man, but the, you know, <laughs> going back going back to um, uh, Fukushima, you know, that is, and again, that, that was amazing, actually, Ralph. Right? Because I, um, so that was TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Power. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after, like literally a few months after that. I was taking um, Kansai electric power. So this same kind of deal, but in a different region, sort of just over. Mm-hmm. Uh, also talking about nuclear power because they had nuclear power stations and I was going around with them to all the, the clients and we were talking about, you know, could Fukushima happen? Could this happen? What are you doing? Yeah. It was very interesting. You know, to to hear it, I mean, to kind of hear it from the horse's mouth, as it were, yeah. as to as to what they were doing. And I remember thinking at that point, um, "Wow, you know, is is this the death of this, really?" But clearly, <laughs> no. You know, it's come back again and in a different form, I guess. But pretty amazing. Well, th- that's the thing, isn't it? We are all <clears throat> under so much pressure here to find reliable and sustainable energy sources, Mm. both from the geopolitical envelope, which we've been discussing, but also, of course, more importantly, perhaps even, no, no perhaps about it, more importantly from uh, global warming. We we have to do something. I mean, it it, it cannot continue like this. By Mm. by 2050, the the world is going to be incinerating in its own juice, basically, Mm. if this continues like this. And so there is no alternative. We have to find CO2 neutral forms of energy. Mm. And what I would say is that, yes, the security concerns are, of course, valid, but we... um, it is clear to me that the environmental damage and the uh, physical danger to people in our societies is more pronounced to come from global warming if left unchecked Mm. than from a technology which is well-developed, safely engineered, and CO2 neutral. Mm. And so from that point of view, I'm, I would plead <laughs> that, uh, that nuclear energy is going to be used increasingly as a viable source of energy and, and not demonized as something which is, um, which is more dangerous than, than it, it 
it actually is. Mm -hmm. All of that always within the understanding that we all hope that fusion energy is going to mm -hmm. take over at some point and all of this is going to be a transitional period that may well be but that is the period which we are in currently and I think the cost-benefit analysis would surely be coming down in favor of, of, of nuclear energy. To, to your other point, yes, we are here now in a world where we are looking again at nuclear energy and that's a needs-must situation, isn't it? This is just it's just we we probably all would like to not have it but if we um if we have to have it then now is the time to actually look at it again and it it goes as far as young people students uh, members of gen z are are um pressurizing greenpeace to um to, to adopt a more conciliatory attitude towards mm. nuclear energy so the the, the 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 atmosphere is clearly changing here mm. and you mentioned france yes i mean germany is probably an even better mm. case mm. in point because germany in the 80s into the 90s had maybe globally leading but certainly european leading nuclear technology mm. and it allowed its position within that energy source to degrade and without, I would argue, real necessity, they made a political decision to exit from nuclear energy. And the oh, but that was that was from Fukushima, though, wasn't it? Because I mean, not only... just Fukushima, also also mm. Three Mile Island. But yeah, but yeah, right, but yeah. But it's just because I seem to remember that at that point. So it seemed to me that Angela Merkel was on the ropes in terms of yes, correct, political that's correct. Um, popularity and things going into you know 2010, 2011. She was up for re-election and Fukushima happened mm -hmm. and she basically said, right, okay, she went from being, so she did a 180, didn't she? She went from being a very strong advocate of, of nuclear to suddenly going 180 and saying, actually, no, we're going to move away from it. And as a result of that, I think largely as a result of that, she got another term in power. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's, I mean, it seems to me that that's the way, that's why it went that way. And maybe again, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm looking at it in too simplistically, but maybe that's the time when Germany and Russia really got much closer because right. she was thinking, well, okay, so we're, we're getting rid of nuclear, but what do we do? Exactly. Instead, because of our massive manufacturing capability, we've got to get the energy from somewhere. And then Russia comes along and says, well, you know, we can we can sort that out for you. Have some gas. From yeah, us. Have some yeah. gas. And then and then it just sort of escalated from there, didn't it? That's I right. And, and no, 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 I think that's largely correct. And um, and it, it just highlights and hindsight is 2020. Yeah, of course, clearly. Yeah. But it does highlight what a disastrous decision that has turned out to be mm. because Germany did have globally leading nuclear technology and I would still argue without necessity exited from that and mm. the consequence was that first of all they became more dependent on Russian gas mm. and second from French nuclear energy because they're mm. importing about 70 mm. no I don't know exactly what that is but a large number a large percentage of French-produced nuclear energy is is imported 
or exported to Germany, mm-hmm. while the French nuclear technology is not as good as the German technology used to be. Hmm. So, but then, of course, these are all of these decisions are all, always in a political envelope, of course. Hmm. But hmm. the the fact that Merkel basically spearheaded the exit from nuclear energy in Germany was was driven, I agree, by Fukushima. But then also it was driven by mounting political pressure from a increasingly leftist um, green ecological lobby within hmm. Germany, who are now in government, by the way. Hmm. Uh, and so of all, 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 all of this, all, all, what's that? One of the many. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> um, all, all of this, all, all of this drove this particular exit from nuclear technology. But now we know where we are, mm. and we can all see that that, from hindsight, has turned out to be the wrong mm. decision. Yeah, and therefore. It's not just France or Germany, but all nations in the free world are highlighting nuclear energy again. But again, and and this is, I think, also important to understand, not necessarily in a simple repeat of what has gone on before, but in an attempt to seek better technological solutions, more efficient solutions within the nuclear envelope and SMRs are one of these uh, technologies. So there we go. I mean, I hope that everyone feels energized and glowing and glowing <laughs> after this podcast. Um, actually, not many key puns, to be honest. No, I, I, I couldn't I was... get them in. I had to concentrate on the energy and yeah, the hydrogen the thing and all is, the colors. The puns are good, but they've got to sound, they've got to be in context, haven't they? Otherwise, they would jar. So, um, so anyway, so um, so I'll I'll leave you there before you can get anything in, um, and uh, yeah, thank you, thank you where's very much. My, where's my crib sheet with key <laughs> jokes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, um, thank you very much indeed. Um, we'll obviously be back again, um, very you know again soon. Um, well, that depends on your well whether you find your keys or not. Yeah. that wasn't a joke. That's yeah, just no, that's a it. Yeah. important public safety announcement. <laughs> So thank you very much indeed. Have a great uh, great day, whatever you're up to. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again soon. Excellent. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Bye.